Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. This week, I'm really excited to continue with our historical mentor series, and I'm going to be highlighting the life of Catherine Booth, who was the co-founder of the Salvation Army. I did an episode on her quite a number of years ago, but since it's been a while and she is such an amazing woman of God, an example to me in my own life, I wanted to freshly highlight her and some spiritual lessons that I've learned from her. I also wanted to encourage you to check out our Daily Thunder podcast series called Spiritual Lessons from Black and White America. This is such a riveting, powerful, eye-opening series for Christians living in such a time as this. It's a series that my husband, Eric, has been going through all summer, and I've had some guest sessions on there. If you'd like to catch up on those episodes, just click the link in this podcast description or go to Daily Thunder on your favorite podcast platform. Let's dive into the life of Catherine Booth. And when I think about her, I think of a woman of relentless spiritual passion. There's a verse in Romans 12, 11 that I just love, but it's also very baffling. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now that is a tall order because I think a lot of us look at spiritual fervor or spiritual passion as something that ebbs and flows based on our emotions or our circumstances or whether we've just been to a Christian event that inspired us. But he is saying here, we are never to lose that zeal, that passion. We are to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I remember when I first posted about this verse on social media, some people were inspired and blessed, but some people were a little bit miffed. One woman said, you know, we need to sometimes just let go of those unrealistic spiritual expectations and go take a nap. That's a very common attitude in modern Christianity because it seems like anytime someone starts talking about having tireless spiritual passion or pursuing Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're tempted to say that is completely unrealistic. No one can be passionate about Christ all the time. We're only going to put unhealthy pressure on ourselves if we try to rise up to that. But Jesus says that we are to always be watching. In Luke 12, 37, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. The word watching in this context literally means to be roused from sleep, to be awake, and to be on the alert. And so even though we live in a culture and even a Christian world that sort of promotes and excuses laziness or self-focus, self-indulgence, a lot of us really adopt a lackadaisical mindset toward our spiritual pursuit, our relationship with Christ, and we accept mediocrity or spiritual dullness as the norm. Sometimes we don't really believe there is more to the Christian life other than going through the motions out of duty or obligation, and we don't have that lasting spiritual passion. One of the things that I so appreciate about Catherine Booth is she proves with her life that it is possible to never be lacking in zeal, to always be on the alert, to always have her spiritual passion at full force. And that doesn't mean her life was easy or that she didn't go through times of sickness or pain or discouragement. It just meant that she never stopped passionately pursuing Jesus Christ and building her life around him and inspiring others to do this. She lived in the 1800s and her example of relentless spiritual passion, even in the midst of challenges like chronic illness, financial difficulties, raising children, constantly traveling, all of the pressure that comes from being in sort of a public Christian ministry. I'm always so inspired when I read and study her life. Just a short overview of some of the things that she accomplished for God's kingdom 
in her relatively short lifetime, because I believe she died in her 60s, but she nurtured and brought up eight children and raised them to be faithful soldiers of the cross. She used her gift of writing and speaking to awaken the Church of England from a spiritual stupor. She visited the poor. She saved the lives of sick children. She shared the gospel with many alcoholics, helping them become transformed by the power of Christ. And she really had a passion for souls. In fact, she really helped awaken an entire generation of self-absorbed Christians, especially Christian women, to gain a passion for lost souls. In the time in which she lived, there were two sort of angles on England, and one was the West End and one was the East End, and there were a lot of Christians, well-to-do, wealthy Christians living in the West End. They didn't really venture out of their comfort zone. They went to church and they did some you know, charitable works here and there, but they were really absorbed in their own lives and they had a very comfortable living usually. But then there was the East End, and that's where the poor and the destitute and the alcoholics and the prostitutes and the orphan children lived and died, and very rarely did Christians from the West End go to help those in the East End. And that was what made the Salvation Army so different, is that William and Catherine Booth had a vision for the people in the East End. In fact, they called them our people. And not only did they pour their lives out for those in the East End and bring them practical help, but also brought them the gospel, but they began to see revival among these people and really just the Spirit of God working to transform these broken lives. And at the same time, they began to rouse the church in the West End to get out of their comfort zones and actually go to the trenches and do true gospel work. And this was in a time when women did not normally share the gospel or do any kind of evangelism or really any kind of missions work. They might do, you know, little things that were involved with their church, but it was very unusual for a woman to devote herself to ministry, especially difficult or dangerous ministry. It was looked at as more spiritual to leave all that kind of ministry to the men. So you think about going to the East End of London, where there is death and disease and alcoholism and prostitution and all of these things, all these fashionable Christian ladies that were thinking, this is so out of our comfort zone, we shouldn't even be doing this. But she began to point out to them that outward living and sharing the gospel and going to the poor is not just a call for men, but for all Christians. One of the things that she said, which was very convicting to so many women in her time, is this, it will be a happy day for England when Christian ladies transfer their attention from poodles and terriers to destitute and starving children. And that was very convicting at the time because here are these women in the West End who just had all of this idle time on their hands. So they would get into little fashionable dogs and dog shows and poodles and terriers and all these other little hobbies when right across the city from them, there were destitute and starving children that they were not even aware of. She told these Christian women that living for pleasure and filling their days with things like eating, drinking, dressing, riding, and sightseeing left no time to serve God. They were too occupied with self to develop their spiritual resources. Now she was very plain spoken and not everyone appreciated how blunt she was, but some people, it actually really opened their eyes to see that God had a purpose for them beyond just keeping his spiritual blessings to themselves. One of the things that she said to Christians at that time was this, what if your neighbors were dying of some plague and you had the cure? Would you say, oh, I can't go. I'm only a woman or I'm only this or that, or I have these restrictions. She said, no, you would say, let me go to them just as Florence Nightingale went to the sick and wounded soldiers. Let me go to them. And these are not the bodies dying, but the souls. They are going to an eternal death. Will you not rise up? 
And it's almost impossible to ignore the souls around us that are lost when we hear words like that. She spoke out of this place of true spiritual passion, not only to pour her life out for the glory of God and for the gospel of Christ, but to awaken a church from its stupor so that they would go and do the same. She supported her husband, William, and together they established and grew one of the largest and most powerful Christian forces in history. The Salvation Army back in the 1800s is different than it is today. It was really sweeping the world and revival was breaking out everywhere and people that everyone said that person can never be saved. They were radically giving their lives to Christ. And even though the work continues today, it's more of a charitable work. Back then, it was very much fueled by street preaching and revival and gospel transformation. Catherine Booth was such a key part of the trajectory of the Salvation Army. She was so outward focused. She was so tireless in her preaching of the gospel. She was so relentless in her calling the church to triumphant outward Christianity that she literally changed millions of lives around the world. She made such an impact that at the end of her life, 50,000 people gathered to hear her final message and 50,000 people came to her funeral. That would be a staggering number even for someone today. And this was long before there were planes or cars to make travel easier. That's how loved this woman was because she stood so passionately for the gospel. So many lives were transformed. And at her funeral, they had every type of person there. So people who literally came off the streets and were transformed by her ministry to all the way to very well-known, well-to-do, influential people around the world came because she made that big of an impact. One of these women from the streets was known as saying at her funeral, she cared for the likes of me. Catherine Booth was no respecter of persons. She put just as much value on someone that others would look down on as she would anybody who was more wealthy and influential. Now, it's easy to think that a remarkable person like Catherine Booth only comes along once every couple of generations, or that there was something especially extraordinary about her that made it possible for her to accomplish such great things for God. But the Bible makes it clear that this kind of tenacity and unwavering faith is available to any of us who will simply believe our God. He desires to work the same power and triumph in our lives as he did in Catherine Booth's if we are only willing to make ourselves available to his supernatural transforming power. As I've studied Catherine's life and example, I've noticed a few spiritual qualities that really marked her life and kept her spiritual fervor thriving. I really believe these are traits that each and every one of us can personally discover and experience. After all, we serve the same God that Catherine Booth served. So let's unpack those principles, and there are many others, but these are the ones that specifically have stood out to me and impacted me the most. The first one is that she did not allow weakness to rule her life. And how many times in our lives as women have we been tempted to let weakness rule, whether it's physical weakness or emotional weakness or spiritual weakness, that weakness is always knocking at our door where there's that voice that just says, you know, just give in, take the easy road, go easy on yourself, don't really try to rise up to a higher standard, you know, just take the broad way rather than the narrow way. And of course, this doesn't mean we don't ever take a break or get rest. That's not at all what this principle is about. But she didn't let weakness take over and control the direction of her life. She had many serious health challenges for the majority of her life, including tuberculosis, heart 
trouble, scoliosis, and loads of other things. And once she wrote this, I can scarcely remember a day of my life which has been free from pain. But rather than allowing her physical weakness to limit her ability to fulfill God's calling upon her life, she rose above it, leaning on his strength and trusting that he would sustain her for the tasks before her. It was said of her that scores of times she arose from her sickbed to minister to the poor or preach the gospel to eager, waiting crowds. She faithfully followed the example of Paul who said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Catherine personally took hold of this more than conqueror's promise that we see in Romans 8.37. She refused to allow physical or emotional or spiritual weakness to rule her life or have a greater say than the Spirit of God. One time when her young adult daughter was going through an emotional struggle, she wrote to her, do not give way to lowness while you are young. Rise up on the strength of God and resolve to conquer. Because Catherine was never allowing her own physical weakness to hold her back or become an excuse for mediocrity, she was able to exhort others to have that same conquering spirit by leaning on the supernatural strength of God. She actually said that sometimes, many times, actually, she would be in her sickbed. She would rise up to preach the gospel to someone, share the gospel with someone, stand upon a stage and exhort the church, and then go right back to her sickbed. So God gave her this supernatural burst of energy right when she needed. A lot of times she had to fill in for William, her husband, when he wasn't able to preach or lead the Salvation Army, and God always gave her everything that she needed. Another key quality in her life is that she did not complain, and yet her life was definitely not easy. When I read about the life she and William had together, I feel like I have a small understanding of it because my husband and I have been in public ministry for a very long time, but they were raising eight children in the public eye. They had a very large influential ministry, but they lived as itinerant missionaries. They didn't always have a settled home or predictable lifestyle or predictable income. And as pioneers of the Salvationist movement, they faced a lot of scorn and criticism from many comfortable Christians who didn't appreciate their strong stand for truth. Also from non-Christians who would do things like throw rotten food at them and throw beer at them and make false accusations to the authorities against them. And some of them were hauled off to jail. And it was really a dramatic time. There was always some crisis going on. They were not sent out by a church or denomination. So they really lived on faith and they faced a lot of financial challenges, especially in the early days of their ministry. I personally think I would find it very difficult to raise eight children while constantly traveling, carrying the weights of ministry, being the object of public ridicule, even in the church and having all those other challenges, not to mention living with illness and constant pain. And yet because of her security being found in Christ, she was never moved or shaken by any of those difficulties. It was written of her, there have been few persons in the history of mankind who met affliction with such fortitude, who repined so little under acute pain. Now that is deeply convicting to me because I feel like I can easily start to crumble under far less weight or far less problems that come into my life, but I'm really inspired by her example of enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.3, and doing all things without complaining or disputing, as it says in Philippians 2.14. Her incorrigibly cheerful attitude and her fortitude gave her greater strength to face extreme challenges triumphantly by the grace of God. 
but you don't hear her complaining. You hear her pressing forward in everything that she says and does and what she writes and how she speaks. Another quality about her that really stood out to me, especially when I was a young mom, is that she was excellent at both motherhood and ministry. A lot of women today believe it is impossible to raise godly children and also be active in ministry and lead others to Christ. Her life proves otherwise. Though she led countless thousands to Christ, she wrote books and gave messages that awakened a slumbering church, and she personally rescued the dying and the impoverished. She always gave the very best to her family. It was said of her that she never neglected her children's spiritual welfare. She counseled them, watched with wisdom over their spiritual development, education, and courtships, and taught them that it is not so much what one does as how much one loves. For love, she said, is the fulfillment of the law. Each of her eight children grew up to become leaders in the world-changing Christian work that she and William were doing, and two of her sons-in-law actually adopted the last name Booth out of their deep love and respect for Catherine and William's example. To truly be excellent at both family and ministry definitely requires supernatural grace, and it's important to not try to rise up to that in our own strength. I've tried at times. We have to have the enabling of God's Spirit, and we have to know the path that He is setting before us, not to just fill our lives with ministry and child raising and cram it as full as we possibly can get. She just knew very clearly what God had called her to, and she rose up in God's strength to do that. And that's the path that we can walk. If you're juggling marriage and ministry and motherhood and all of those things, let God show you season by season where he wants you to prioritize. It's not something you rise up to. It's something you surrender to that he does through you. So Catherine was a frail but tenacious woman, and she leaned wholeheartedly upon the spirit of God and the strength of God to do what could never be done in human strength. And another quality that I notice in her is that she took risks for God. She once wrote about some of her earliest experiences in sharing the gospel with the lost when she was a young wife and mother in England. She had four young children at home, but she decided to devote two evenings a week to going out and witnessing to lost souls. She went to a poor district of the East End of London, and she saw poverty, pain, and abuse, and her heart longed to bring light to those who were suffering in the midst of darkness. She began to pray for God's Spirit to guide her steps and make her an instrument of the gospel among the poor, especially among those who were enslaved to alcohol. She wrote about this one experience that really stood out to me. She said, I observed a woman standing on the adjoining doorstep with a jug in her hand. My divine teacher said, speak to that woman. After a momentary struggle, I introduced myself to her and invited her to our church service. She answered, I can't go to chapel. I am kept at home by a drunken husband. I asked if I might come in and see her husband. No, she said, he is drunk. You could do nothing with him and he will only abuse you. I replied, I am not afraid. He will not hurt me. I followed her up the stairs. I felt strong now in the Lord and in the power of his might, as safe as a babe in the arms of its mother. I realized I was in the path of obedience and I feared no evil. I found a fine, intelligent man about 40 sitting almost double in a chair with a jug by his side, out of which he had been drinking. I leaned on my heavenly guide for strength and wisdom and love and power, and he gave me all I needed. He silenced the demon of strong drink in this man's life and quickened the man's perceptions to receive my words. As I began to talk with him with my heart full of sympathy, he gradually raised himself in his chair and listened with a surprised and half vacant stare. I spoke to him of his present deplorable condition, of the folly and wickedness of his course, of the interest of his wife and children, until he was fully aroused from the stupor in which I found him. I read to him the parable of the prodigal son while the tears ran down his face like 
like rain. I then prayed as the spirit gave me utterance and left, promising to come back the next day. From that time, I commenced a systematic course of house-to-house visitation, devoting two evenings per week to the work. The Lord so blessed my efforts that in a few weeks I succeeded in getting 10 alcoholics to abandon their soul-destroying habits and meet me once a week for reading the scriptures and for prayer. Her decision to ask big things of God and stand upon the promise that all things are possible with God caused her to have a courage unlike most other women. She did not care if people approved of her. Like I said, a lot of her ministry work was very unusual for a woman to be doing at that time. And yet she had the full support of her husband, William. They were very much a team. And yet she wasn't afraid to go into these situations by herself if she needed to. And ironically, because she was willing to take these risks for God's glory, her message spread around the world like wildfire. I have asked God to work each of these spiritual qualities deeper in my own life because whenever I am tempted to accept mediocrity and come up with reasons for why I cannot passionately pursue Jesus Christ and triumphantly fulfill the task that he's placed in front of me, her testimony literally puts me to shame in a good way. Her life reminds me never to settle for less than the impossible God-enabled life that he has called us to, and it propels me to rise up on the strength of God and resolve to conquer. If you find yourself growing a little bit lax in your spiritual life or feeling like you're facing too many challenges to go after God with all of your might and strength, I encourage you to remember the example of this simple woman who maintained and kept her spiritual fire aflame against incredible odds. In light of her story, we have no excuses for accepting mediocrity. Catherine Booth's example urges us to leave it all on the field by God's grace and for his glory. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a Christ-centered life, I invite you to visit our website at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have available for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.